title of this message is How to Miss a Move of God. And so, <laughs> and so hopefully if you know how to miss one, you know how not to miss one, okay? And what the Lord began to drop in my heart and to stir was in my own personal life is that every time that, that I came into a, a, a deeper realm in the things of the Spirit, I came into a deeper hunger. Somehow the Holy Spirit just stirred up in me a hunger for just a, a cleansing type, that rending type prayer that I love that feeling when I'm just wrung out by the Holy Spirit. And I'm not talking about conviction of sin. I'm just talking about uh, a, a conviction of, of being what I call divinely dissatisfied of where you are right now. And even though everything's been great, it can be one of the most fruitful times of ministry that I've ever had. But at the same time, I'm sitting there going, Lord, I don't want to settle for less than what you died in order to bring me into. And, and I remember when I, when the night I got saved, and I'm sure like all of us, I had this encounter with God. And it basically, I had an encounter with a God that I thought I knew, you know, because I, I thought I knew what there was to know about God. And I, I knew about God. I loved what I knew about God. I prayed my whole life. And I'll be honest with you, I would have split hell wide open, you know. I mean, I just thought that I had what there was. The good people went to, went to heaven and the bad people went to hell. I never understood a changed life, that God took out the heart of stone and gave you a brand new heart of flesh and that you had this, you know, you were born again. You were begotten from above. And so the night that I got saved, I mean, I just had this encounter with what I call the excruciating love of God, and it just ruined me. You know, I just never wanted to be the same again and never wanted to settle. He put that in my heart to never settle again for less than what he died in order to bring us into. And so every time that, that God takes me to a new place in his spirit, it's, it's like when the Bible says, you know, behold, I do a new thing, shall you not know it? And so when the Lord begins to say, I'm about to do a new thing, the grace is lifting off the old thing a lot of times to bring us into a place of just dissatisfaction to where, yeah, it's been good and I'm thankful for all that he did, but I don't want to camp out here. I want to I fulfill the purpose of God in my life for my generation. I want to I see and apprehend all those things that I've been apprehended for. And, and we're called to be like Jesus. As he is, so are we in the earth. And so the Lord in this hour, he's got awesome things for you and I. I mean, we're on the verge of, I really believe, the greatest move of the Holy Spirit that we've ever seen before. And I believe that, that what's preceding this, this move of God, which is what I've been waiting on, because I've always felt like when the true apostolic began to manifest, it would be it was not about the person or the man apostle. It was about the message that an apostle brings or it's the message that a prophet brings. And so the apostolic message to me has always been the finished work of the cross. The apostle Paul said, I came to lay a sure foundation. And so I believe all the moves of God that had come before has been, even though they were mighty moves of God and even though God was restoring truths about healing and, and deliverance and power and all the things that were available to, his, to the church right now today, all those moves of God were mingled a lot with the old uh, traditions of men and and legalism and other things, so that it was a, it was a it was a glory, but it was a glory that was fading because of the mixture with the law. But now I believe God is laying this foundation of the finished work of the cross, so that this harvest that that's coming in, they're not coming in to sit in a church where they're ever learning, but never coming to an understanding of who they are. They're going to come in filled with God and come in knowing that they're sons and daughters of the Most High God, not striving to become what the Bible already says you are, but apprehending that and coming boldly into the throne room of grace and receiving the grace and the anointing 
to go out and freely do what Jesus said do. You know, Jesus told his disciples, freely you receive, now freely give. And so many times that we get something from God and we begin to charge people for it. And I don't mean charge them financially, but we begin to put uh, demands upon uh, our conditions upon the anointing that the Bible doesn't put there. Jesus met the conditions so that you can be anointed. He doesn't put desires in your heart to go win the lost and to go heal the sick and go raise the dead and not give you the means to do it. He's, he's a good father. And so um, he's, he's stirring up a people to, to, in this hour, I believe, to really apprehend what other generations have not apprehended. And if, if you heard me speak at all during one of the conferences, the, the, one of the words that's on my heart right now is regarding uh, John the Baptist and Jesus and how it represented that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the father. And one of the things that, that um, they need, the Lord said, lest I strike the earth with a curse. And I thought about that. I said, Lord, what is the curse? If the hearts of the fathers not turned to the sons and sons to the fathers, and he said the curse is, is that a generation has to start all over again. And the curse is, is that, that, that it's a generation that's raised up that does not know God or not know the God of our fathers. And so it even in Judges, it says that, that after that generation died that possessed the land, that another generation raised, God was raised up that did not know God or the works that God had done among the nation. And so God is now coming, I believe, with, um, with those that are pregnant with end time revival, which is like a, a, a uh, like Mary was pregnant with Jesus, but when she greeted Elizabeth, remember the, the what Elizabeth was carrying left in her womb, and and Elizabeth was carrying John the Baptist, who prepared the way for that end time revival. So God's raising up, I believe, apostolic mothers and fathers to join with this next generation to see a mighty move of God. So the way to miss that move of God, really, is to miss the move of John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist always comes and prepares the way. And, and John's message was a message of repentance. And I know like on a Thursday night here at Storehouse, I mean, these are hungry remnant people that are after God. So when I'm talking about repentance, and for me, when I was talking about when I go to another place with God, it's not so much repentance of, of sin or something like that. I mean, if you're in sin, you know it. You know, you need to get, need to get out of your life. But it's, it's really just a place of, of dissatisfaction to where you're just hungry for more and you're dissatisfied with where you are. And it's that place that you begin to pray dangerous prayers, you know, <laughs> where God comes and he, and, he, and he comes and he answers those prayers. And, and so John, I read this scripture. This is uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 30. And the first time I ever read this, I was just in a, um, a place before the Lord where I was just kind of a weeping prophet. And when I read this scripture, it, to me at that moment, it was like one of the saddest verses I've ever read in the Bible. But Luke chapter 7, verse 30, it says, I'm going to start at verse 29. It says, when all the people heard him, that's Jesus, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, this is verse 30, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, having not received the baptism of John the Baptist. So the scribes and Pharisees, we always think of scribes and Pharisees that they were just destined to be what they were, you know, just to reject Christ and to miss, the, miss their moment, miss the hour of their visitation. But the Bible says here that they had a purpose in God, but they missed it by not heeding the message that they could hear. And so 
to me, it, it's saying that if we don't, if we don't respond to a message that we can hear, then we won't have the eyes to see and the ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is doing next. And I remember when in the 80s and, and 90s, as poor Debbie and I were, were married, she was an intercessor out in East Texas and prophetic, held in uh, prophetic conferences and meetings and stuff out there. And I was in Dallas and just a hidden weeping prophet guy. And I remember that my prayer life was I just also always had a real grace to pray. And I believe the, pr- the, the secret of praying is praying in secret. And, and I just remember that, you know, at first, you know, you, you show up with God every morning at a certain time and maybe kind of a little hard at, you know, the first few times. And then after a while, it's like the Lord's waiting on you when you show up. So just being consistent, that's just kind of a little nugget out there, just being consistent to show up, God is waiting for his appointment with you because he loves to be with you. And, and in my prayer time, I just had kind of my own method. I'd start off in worship, you know, and then I'd begin to declare and pray in the spirit or whatever, and I had my little thing I did. But then one day, things began to change, and, 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 I, and what it was is the presence of God, which was always there, always really good in my prayer time, but suddenly it was just weightier than ever. And I was in my worship time, and I was just getting filled and filled, and then I began to do, I'll call it my thing, you know. And it wasn't like the Lord simply just lifted off of me, but, I mean, he lifted off of me, but I could tell you where he was standing in the room. I mean, he was, like, just off to my right-hand side, back about two feet, and I'm doing my thing, trying to pray, and all of a sudden this just grin comes across my face, you know, and I go, you're really not into this, are you? <laughs> you know? And so I just, you know, I was putting on my armor and all this stuff, you know. And, um, and so I just stopped, and I just said, I just began to worship him again. I mean, he just comes back on me just like ten times heavier. I mean, just thick. And then I went to work that day, and I couldn't even work. I mean, the Lord was just all over me, and, and uh, I'd try to, you know, write checks or something. I couldn't even write. My hands wouldn't work, you know. And, and finally, I just I had to ask him to lift his presence up, off just so I could write the checks, you know. And, and uh, during that time, that went on for, for a number of weeks. And, and one morning in my prayer time, I'm caught up in this vision, and I'm seeing the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And as I'm, as I'm looking at this vision, I know what I'm seeing. All of a sudden, the Lord speaks to me, and he says, do you know why they didn't recognize me? And so immediately, I'm like, hey, I know this one, you know. Usually when he asks me a question, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. But I knew this one. So I said, well, it's because you appeared in a different form. Well, then he said, and his voice changed. It was very stern. He says, that's right. Do not touch what you don't understand. And so... I didn't really know what it meant, but I knew he was trying to tell me something. So I don't know, it was a couple of days later, but I was at a meeting, and this couple from Oklahoma was up ministering, and they were, and they were just talking about revival, everything that God was stirring up in my heart about what was coming and what was going on. And, and while they're sharing, and I'm just intently listening because he's speaking the same scriptures, the same thing. He's like preaching my message, and I'm really intense on this thing. And, uh, but behind me, there's these two, you know, 12, 13-year-old girls, and they're laughing and kind of carrying on, and it's kind of interrupting the message, you know. And I'm kind of getting kind of agitated because I think it's rude. And, and the Lord goes, do not touch what you don't understand. And so he calls them up there, and they could hardly walk up there. They were getting hit with the Holy Spirit. And see, in, in my, up until that time, I had only been used to seeing the moving of the Holy Spirit when someone got up and operated the gifts of the Holy Spirit but I had not ever seen the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so if a lot of times, well, the Bible says if the ministry of Moses was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? So 
when we yield a meeting over to the Holy Spirit, like Peter at Cornelius' house, while he yet spake, the Holy Spirit interrupted the message. The Holy Spirit fell upon him as he did on the apostles of the day of Pentecost. And so after that, I began to see that, even in my own meetings and stuff, I began to just see meetings interrupted. People would get laughter. Or people would be get doubled over in conviction and run to the altar. And you'd just be just preaching the word. But, but it was the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't know how to get out of the way and allow that to happen, it's kind of messy and disruptive. And I'm sure a lot of people get offended because it's kind of weird, you know. But over that time, we had meetings in my house. And I remember there was, there was people that were, um, we just called them Holy Ghost meetings. We'd just show up and worship and let the Holy Spirit do whatever he wanted to do. And then we, we saw little, you know, uh, seven, eight, nine-year-old girls get up and give a word of the Lord, and they'd have visions of Jesus, and they would stay on the floor for hours, never move. Um, I remember it was one lady that I knew pretty well that she had been in and out of every, every counseling service there was. She was just a messed up, you know, been through deliverance a hundred different times and all this stuff. And she just came and got on the floor, and she was – under the power of the Holy Spirit for about an hour and a half. She got up on church on Sunday morning and sang a prophetic song over the whole congregation, got mightily set free. She was married about eight months later. She was about like 55 years old, never been married. I mean, just amazing things. No one ministered to her. No one gave her a word. No one, I'm not saying the word of the Lord doesn't go forth, but I'm telling you, a lot of, the Holy Spirit can do more in five minutes on the floor than we can do with all the preaching and all the things. And so, the Lord, he was, he's, he was preparing a people, and what was really disturbing, and this is where I kind of wanted to get to, was during that time, and Debbie and I have talked about it since, there were people in, in my church and other churches that I knew quite well, and we were just getting schnockered in the Holy Spirit. And we were just getting, I mean, it was like we could hardly, um, I mean, I could, there was, a, there was one time in my office, I was sitting there with the presence of the Lord, and it was so strong. There was a knock on my door, and I, I was like, oh, man, this better not be a salesman, you know? And so I get up from around my desk, and I go and open the door. And, and this guy from my church saw my pickup truck out in the parking lot and decided to come in, you know, come by and visit. And I was like, you know, whatever. I was just gone. And I just said, oh, whatever. And I said, I said well, I said, yeah, come on in. You know, it was nice. And I go back, and I sit down at my desk. And when I sit down at my desk, I look, and I can't see the guy. And I look up over my desk, and he had just walked into the glory. He was just out. <laughs> just, just out. And those were the kinds, and, and I mean, in praying for people and seeing healings, I was more surprised when people didn't get healed than when they did. It was just an amazing time. And that, that there's a lot I could tell you about how that lifted and why and different things. But it was a preparation for what I believe God's doing now in this generation. I feel like a lot of us at that time, we spied out the land as sons and daughters, but we're entering in as parents to the next generation. And so the mistakes that were made then will not be made now. Nothing will be allowed to eclipse your relationship with God. In fact, just the opposite. We're going to serve at your feet to make sure that you hear God for yourself and you know how to follow the Holy Spirit and be taught by him. So that's what's coming. But you can miss a move of God by not being prepared ahead of time. And I felt like um, if you turn over to... um, Ezekiel chapter 9, this is a great verse to, to shake up the church. The wicked are slain. This is a, in verse 9 it says, Then he called out in my hearing, this is the angel of the Lord, Then he called out in my hearing, 
with a loud voice saying, let those who have come over to, excuse me, let those who have charge over the city draw near, each with a deadly weapon in his hand. And, and suddenly six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces the north, each with his battle axe in his hand. One man among them was clothed with linen and the rider's inkhorn at his side. Then he went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub there and it had been where it had been on the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed with linen who had the rider's inkhorn at his side. And the Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city and through the midst of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over the abominations that are done within it. When I read that, that those that are sealed, you know, in Revelation it, in chapter 7, it says that, that the Lord, I saw an angel arising from the east saying, hold back the four winds of heaven until the saints are finished being sealed on their foreheads. In other words, hold back destruction until my saints are sealed. And, and we know that in Ephesians, we're sealed through the redemption works of, of Jesus Christ. We're sealed. We're given the Holy Spirit as a, as a foretaste of that which is to come. But when I read this, what it said was that go through and seal the foreheads of those who cry over the abominations that are done within it. And to me, that it speaks of a deeper level. You know, we all know that we're in this world, but we're not of the world. That we're a, we're a holy nation and a people that are set apart. And Jesus said, be holy for I am holy. And what the Lord causes me to know is that what happens, the things that happen in church now, the things that happen, the things that we say that are, you know, careless and, and I mean, God's a merciful God, but I'm just saying that there's things in the glory realm that you don't get away with when you get away when it's just like this. I mean, Ananias and Sapphira died in the glory realm. And there's a soberness and a holiness that's coming to, to apprehend and to contain what God wants us to carry in this hour to this world right now. And so this, this verse, it wasn't those that were just getting along in the world. The Bible says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And we're in the world, we're not of the world. And sure, we're supposed to love the world, love the lost, but we're supposed to love it from a place of being outside of it. Moses had to come out of Egypt before he could be a deliverer of those who were in Egypt. You cannot be a deliverer of something that you're still in. You know, so you can't be in the world and be a deliverer for those that are in the world. I had to come out of religion so I could go and deliver people who were in religion. So, so you can't, you have to come out of something before you can be a deliverer for people who are in something. Hezekiah, when he cried out, when he was caught up in the glory, he says, Woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips in the midst of a people of unclean lips. In other words, his lips had become like his society. In other words, you know what I'm saying? There was no difference in him as a, as a king over Israel than there was in the, in the natural society. And we live in a society that is so dark and so depraved. And, and I, I know, you know, I was watching a football game or a basketball game. I don't remember what it was. But, you know, Debbie walks in, and, and, and she just she said something like, what is that? It was, a, it was a commercial on TV or something like that. She goes, what is that doing in my house? <laughs> you know? And I'm going, honey, it's a beer commercial. I mean, you know, it's, you know. But, I, but the, the point is, is that, you know, when I'm in physical shape, you know, you eat a heavy meal, and you can really feel it when you're really in shape. You just, you can feel what, what, how different foods affect your body when you're in really good shape because you're really toned and you're sensitive and stuff. But when you're out of shape, I mean, you can eat, you know, corn dogs and hot dogs and pizza. It doesn't, you know, nothing matters because you don't, you're already out of shape and you're just not sensitive. Well, it's the same way, it's the same way in the Holy Spirit. You can eat salt on your chips. You can eat... You know, burgers. You know. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
Oh, yeah, I'm, sh I'm sure you are. No, really, you're free is what it is. You're just free. But, <laughs> yeah, I'm messing with it, Tracy. But when you're in shape spiritually, you know, a beer commercial, I mean, it's not, you know, you turn it in half a second. You know, it's like, I don't want that in my house. You know, you're, you're more sensitive to what grieves the Holy Spirit, what quenches the Holy Spirit. And so every time that, that in my life, when God has taken me to a new place, he's brought me to a place where I'm crying out for purity that is beyond me. And it's not that there's sin in my life or something like that. It's just, you know, whatever is not of faith is sin, the Bible says. So it's, it's that place of wanting to be more like the Lord. You know, Jesus set his face like flint towards Jerusalem in obedience to the Father. And I just, you know, there's, there's something about um, that quick, obedient heart to where, you know, Lord, I'm not even sure you're saying this, but just in case you are, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> you know, it's like you'd rather miss him the wrong way than miss him by not doing what he's telling you to do or get out of your life what he's telling you to get out of your life. So I just hear the Lord saying to us that as we, as we make room for him, he says, draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. And there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a hunger that God wants to stir up, I believe, in this body and, and over this metroplex. And I, I just know, um, I was talking to, to Tracy earlier, that, that I feel like before the end of March that we're going to be in a new place in the Spirit. But I feel like there's going to be a move in Zechariah 12, 19. It says, and I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the Spirit of grace and of supplication that they may seek me that they may see me. And I believe that the Lord is, is bringing us into a place where he pours out that spirit of grace and supplication because you can't work up this kind of prayer. You hurt yourself. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You really can't work it up. But I really believe that we can open ourselves and avail ourselves to say, Lord, come and just cleanse me and purge me of everything that's unlike you. Make me sensitive to your Holy Spirit so I don't miss the move of God that's coming. Turn with me, if you would. Because I believe there's a commissioning, you know, um, that's coming like Moses was commissioned when he went out. And, and just to back up a minute, Moses came out of Egypt so he could be delivered to the people who were in Egypt. But Moses had to wait 40 years for people to have the same conviction about their life and their condition that he had 40 years before that. I mean, Moses was groaning and concerned about people that weren't even concerned about themselves. It was 40 years later before they began to groan. And there's people that you have tried to minister to in your family. There's people that you know that, there's, that are, are people of destiny in the church that have never really tasted the true things of the Holy Spirit, don't even know what's available to them, and yet they've had a deaf ear. But I believe right now that there is a groaning taking place in our society. And, and you know, Tag, you're it. I mean, you're the Moses that God's going to use to go and get these lost and hurting people. And these people are just caught up in religion and tradition and have really never known the things of God. There's a, there's a friend of ours, uh, Jeremy, that uh, Ron Bailey, he wrote a song. And one of the, the words in that song, it says, uh, just beyond these walls, there's a voice that's crying out, searching for the very thing that I am all about. And, and it, you know, there is. There's a people beyond these walls that are crying out for everything that you are all about, for everything that you've done and that God has done in your life to begin to reproduce in the lives of others. Turn with me to Esther chapter 1. This is where it gets good. This is my little 
question sheet from Tracy and John. I never used it, but I was thinking about doing something smart, but I didn't. <laughs> I was going to ask the question y'all all wanted to ask. <laughs> no, I won't. Uh, Esther chapter 1, <clears throat> we'll start at verse 2. It says, In those days when King Ahasuerus, probably murdered that, but that's how I'm going to say it, sat at the throne of the kingdom, which is in Shushan, the citadel, that in the third year of his reign he made a feast for all his officials and servants. Skip down to verse 5. And when, the days, and when these days were completed, the king made a feast lasting seven days for the people who were present in Shushan, the citadel, from the great to the small, to the court of the garden of the king. You know, it's interesting that in, the, in, in Scripture we know that a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. So, I mean, I don't believe this is 7,000 years, but I do believe it's, it's like seven years in this book would be like a feast that I believe the Lord is throwing right now for the end-time harvest. It says, and when these days were, were completed, the king made a feast lasting seven days, which I think is interesting, for all the people who were present in Shushan, the citadel, from the great to the small. In other words, from the greatest in the city to the least in the city, he's throwing this feast in the garden of the king's palace. Verse 7, and they served drinks in golden vessels, each vessel being different from the other, with royal wine in abundance, according to the generosity of the king. In, ac in accordance with the law, the drinking was not compulsory, for so the king had ordered all the officers of the household that they should do according to each man's desire. In other words, you could drink a little bit or drink a lot, but it was, a, it was according to your hunger. And the Bible says the word to hunger to thirst after righteousness and we shall be filled. And I, I believe that if you're not hungry, you can ask the Lord for hungry. If you've grown complacent, if you've grown weary, if you've grown dry, if you're just going through the motions in your walk with the Lord, you can say, Lord, I'm thirsty, I'm hungry, and I need you to, I'm, or even just say, confess. I just really believe that, you know, confession is just admitting your situation. You know, when, when, uh, when Jacob wrestled with God, you know, he wrestled with the angel all night, but he really didn't get the blessing until he admitted who he really was. You know, he, he said, I'm not going to let you go until you tell me your name. And so he had to admit who he was. He wasn't going to bless him on, on pretending to be his older brother like he got his original father's blessing. In order to get the blessing of God, you've got to come clean with who you really are. And so when you get real with God and you just say, look, Lord, this is who I really am, that's what God comes and blesses. Because you've got, I believe in, in, in Christianity, no matter where you are in your walk with God, if you're not willing to admit you're blind, you'll never continue to see. And so the, the, the key to continually seeing and hearing from the Holy Spirit is to continually admit that apart from him, you know nothing. Apart from what he shows you, you don't know anything. And so God brings us to a place of just wanting to know only what, 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 what comes from him. You know, it's, 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 there's so much of God that flesh and blood has revealed to us that we really don't have divine revelation of. And God wants us to have that. We don't want to know about God. You can't introduce somebody to somebody you know about. I know about President Bush, but I can't introduce you to him, you know. But if you know him, you can pick up the phone and call him and introduce. But I know Jesus, you know. And so the Lord wants us to have that walking, talking intimacy with the Lord because 
contrary to what's been taught in the church, all ministry flows out of intimacy. All true ministry flows out of who you know, not what you know. And so that's why the church has been in such a locked-up place of not really being free to, to minister because they're always trying to uh, get the pattern or the formula to minister in the gifts. There is no pattern or formula. He who works miracles among you, does he do it by the observing of the law or by the hearing that comes by faith? It's the hearing that comes by faith. Whatever you hear your father do, you do, and miracles happen. It's easy. So anyway, he's serving this wine and goblets of gold, and he's serving it in abundance. And he's, and he's, about to, he's pouring out this feast. It sounds like revival to me. But then he calls for Queen Vashti, verse 9, and she also made a feast for the women. So she's got her thing going while God's got his thing going. Not good. And on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded, well, he commanded his, these eunuchs, okay, these seven eunuchs, to, who served in his presence to bring Queen Vashti before the king wearing a, her royal crown in order to show off her beauty to the people, to the officials, that she was beautiful to behold. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command brought by his eunuchs. Therefore, the king was furious with his anger, and it burned within him. And so he said to the wise men who understood the times, for this was the king's matter toward all who knew the law and justice. And basically what they did was they said, Lord, let a decree be made because the, king, the queen was not willing to come to the king when the king was throwing a party. And he wanted to display her beauty and display all that he had done for her, and yet she had her own agenda. So one of the ways to miss a move of God is to have your own agenda when God's doing something else. And, and I saw you know, many churches, even in this Metroplex, that when the Holy Spirit began to visit them and to begin to pour out, instead of just stopping with their agenda and their plans and their programs, they continued on until the Holy Spirit just left and went somewhere else that would let him move. And so we've got to be willing when the Holy Spirit comes and when God begins to move, it's like jump everything and just try to keep up with what he's doing. And so what happened was that there was a decree as we know, that Vashti could not come no more before the king. So basically what God did was he raised up someone else in her stead. And just like these Pharisees in Luke chapter 7, verse 30, Vashti defeated the purpose of God for her life. She's a type of a people in the church, a people in the earth, that will not move on with the things of God. You know, Jesus talked to his disciples one day, and he said something that was very hard, and people just left him. They didn't follow him from that point on. But when he turns to his disciples, he said, where else can he, they said, well, you lead me too. He said, where else can we go? Because you've got the words of everlasting life. So God is, is, is looking for a people who will go all the way into their destiny, into their promised land. Amen. Hallelujah. But I want to be like Esther, the one that God raised up in their stead. I don't want to be like the Pharisees who defeated God's purpose for their life having not received a baptism. And so let's just stand up and declare some things. And you know, the good news is I know that we're about to see a move of God, and the Lord doesn't want us to miss it. So, Father, I pray over every person that, Lord, that would gather as hungry hearts on a Thursday night in Dallas, Texas, after the snow melts. <laughs> And, Father, I just thank you, Lord, that just a, a refreshing, you said times that there would be times, not just a time of repentance, but times of repentance so that times of refreshing would come from the presence of the Lord. 
Father, I just thank you for a repentance, that, Lord, that you bring us into such a deep place with you that no one here, that no one in Dallas, that no one miss the move of God, that no one miss what you're about to do. And, Lord, I pray you'd prepare our hearts afresh, Lord, just a, a cleansing, soaking, holy, um, travailing, holy place with you, Father. And, Lord, you bring us into a new place in your spirit that you can come and fill, that you empty us out of all that was good, all that was holy, all that was right, that we just come and we lay it at your feet. We say, Lord, that was glorious, but, God, I don't want to be just some also ran at the bus stop waiting on the rapture, but, God, I want to enter in and fulfill my destiny, to fulfill my purpose, to fulfill that which you called me to, that, God, that, that Lord, we enter into the greatest time of revival, that, Lord, that we... Would, would lay hold of that for what you've laid hold of us. I pray for everybody in this room, Lord. I pray for storehouse. Lord, I pray for the vision that you called John and Tracy to. I just thank you, Lord, for this vision, that, Lord, that it's exceedingly beyond all they could think, hope, or imagine. I thank you, Lord, that you will use them, Lord, as a spearhead, that you have used them already in the declarations and the words and the prayers that have gone forth in this place. Lord, even for this nation and for other nations, Lord, that you have heard them, and, Father, I thank you, Lord, that you're waking up the watchman. And, Father, I thank you that even tonight, this message, Lord, even though it's just, it's just a, a small group, but yet it has ripple effect across this metroplex. And, Lord, that this message of preparing your heart for a new move of God, that this message of preparing yourself, that, Lord, you said sanctify yourself today and tomorrow, for tomorrow we cross over into the new land. You said sanctify yourself because the ark is about to pass before you as you cross over into a new place. And, Lord, I thank you that we're crossing over into a new realm of your spirit. And, Lord, I just declare that not one person here will miss it. We thank you for hunger and thirst after righteousness, Lord. And we ask, Holy Spirit, you come now and fill every heart. Fill every heart. Fill every life, Lord. And we thank you for it. We praise you for what you're doing, Lord. We praise you for what you're doing in Dallas. Thank you for the commissioning that's coming to the body of Christ, Lord. Thank you that you're about to commission like you did Moses, where he said, how will they know that you sent me? And you gave him signs and wonders to confirm. We just thank you for pouring out signs and wonders upon your bride, Lord. Amen.